the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He does not want you to embrace a pastor. He wants you to embrace the teaching of the truth of God's Word. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. For today's Core Truth, we are picking up in part two of our message titled, A Lifestyle That Counts. Let's jump in. Like any great artist, God always starts with a clean slate, right? We come to Christ. What does he say? If any man or woman be in Christ, they become a new creature. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. So now we all have everything forgiven. We are a clean slate now. He washes us away of all that has stained us in the past. Now God can accomplish the work that he desires in us. And what is that? To equip us for good works. But you might say, you know, pastor, I'm a little lacking on the good work side. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Aren't we all? Well, let's just have a little reminder of what our true calling is, as we were told in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. Walk in a way that is worthy to the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of him. Walk, live, behave in a manner now that's worthy of the Lord. Okay, we were walking in the world before we did our own thing. Now, We're walking in the Lord. So now he's like, walk in a way, live in a way, behave in a way that is worthy of God. Remember what we're told in Philippians 2.12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we've talked about this many times. If I had to work out my own way, have to work out my own salvation, it's going to be with much fear and trembling. Like, how am I going to work out my own salvation? How am I going to pull up my own bootstraps spiritually? I'm going to fail all the time. So it's not up to us. So this is why when we study the Bible, we study it in context. We don't just pull one verse out. Because if you just pull that one verse out, how discouraging is that? Hey, work it out yourself. Hey, figure out how to walk and behave and live a godly lifestyle that's worthy of me. Figure it out yourself. Oh, geez, that'd be a nightmare. But praise God for the next verse in Philippians 2.13, because he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God's going to work in us. He's going to help us walk this new journey because we've never walked it before, right? So he's going to help us walk this new journey out in him. Remember, it's him who starts the work in us, and it's him who will continue his work in us, which brings up our second point, learning his word. We have to learn his word. So let's read what he says next in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, for this, uh, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, 
but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Oh, that's such a great verse. Yes, that's a sign of a healthy church. You want to see the sign of a healthy church? Here's the sign of a healthy church. It's when the body of believers, that's the people that are inhabiting that church, when they embrace not the pastor because he's telling them what they want to hear, but rather because they embrace the truth of God's word. See, that's, that's the sign of a healthy church. Because there's many pastors out there that will tell you, you're a champion. You're beautiful. You're just, everything is wonderful about you. And people like to go to churches like that. Tell me some more. My itching ears want to hear how wonderful I am. See, that's not what God wants you to do as a body of Christ. He does not want you to embrace a pastor. He wants you to embrace the teaching of the truth of God's word. That's what he wants you to embrace. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, that God is a God of truth. See, the very foundation of the church is built on God. It is built on his word, not on a man, not in a building. It's built on the truth of God's word. The Bible says in Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing and hearing the truth of God's word. First, we must know the Bible is the word of God. But where did it come from? People might say, but, but how do we know what we got is truly what God would have us to have? Well, we're told in 2 Peter 1.20, he says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It's not made by an act of human will, but men moved by the spirit of God spoke from God. It's moved by him. So we're thinking, well, where did we get the Bible anyway? Well, the Bible, this is where it originated. First, you have Moses. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible. Now, there's 39 books in the Old Testament that were canonized by the Hebrew scholars. And those 39 books are like, that's it. This is canonized. This is the truth of God's word. And that was done in 167 BC. And it hasn't changed since. What we have here today has been proven by the Dead Sea Scrolls that what we have in our hands is exactly what they had all along. And so what was the criteria for that Bible? You don't mess with the first five books that Moses wrote. You don't mess with that. So the 34 books that came after that in the Old Testament, not one thing can criticize. It cannot, it cannot contradict what Moses wrote. So if there are some other books, there was tons of books out there. But why were these 34 picked? Because they do not contradict what Moses wrote. So that is consistent. So you have 32 authors in the Old Testament. Most of them never knew of each other. They wrote from different generations. And yet they all wrote the same stuff. Why? Because the inspiration of God was upon them. Then you have the New Testament. Well, how, what's the criteria for the New Testament? Well, first of all, some people say, well, I don't really look at the Old Testament. We don't really need that. Uh, hello? That's the foundation for the New Testament. Now, you have no New Testament without this. That's why over 90 times they're quoting scripture from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Okay, so, so you have the New Testament that sits on the firm foundation of the Old Testament. And what's the criteria for this? You can't contradict what it says in the Old Testament. 
And this is written by eight authors, and those eight authors had better walked with Jesus themselves. And if they didn't walk with Jesus, they had better got their information from the person who did walk with Jesus. So that's the criteria of what we have for the scripture here today. And it's very important to know that. Yes, the Bible was written by men that were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's inspired by God. That word inspired means literally God breathed. If we want to know what God thinks, if we want to know how God feels about a particular subject, and we want to know what his will is in anything in life, then we must read the word of God because he takes his personality and spreads it throughout the scripture. To read his word is to seek after and to find Real truth, not supposed truth, but real truth. It was a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who ruled over Israel in Jesus' time. And he says to Jesus personally, face to face, what is truth? He wanted to know what real truth was, for he had personally witnessed all the corruption in the Roman government. It was the last world-leading government of our time, of history. There's only been five of them, and they were the last. They were the fifth of the world-governing empires. Pontius Pilate saw the corruption. And do we not see that same corruption in America today? Especially as things are spinning out of control and we've excommunicated God from our own government. But that's why the Apostle Paul comments on the religious Jews in verse 14 and 15, if you read that. For they were not just religious leaders, they were government leaders, they were politicians. And they were not going to lose their power over the people, their stranglehold from Jesus to the people. So they had Jesus killed. Paul was not referring to all Jews. He was only referring to the religious Jews that had Jesus, you know, killed, the political leaders that incited the riots that turned the people, the mob, on Jesus to have him crucified. Imagine that. Leaders inciting the people, the mob, to riot to get what they wanted. Jeez, I've never seen that happen before, huh? Yeah, some things just never change in life. And notice in verse 16, they were hindering the word being proclaimed to the Gentiles. These religious leaders, the politicians there, you know, they wanted the church to be silenced. This was a complete opposite of what Jesus said after the resurrection. He said, go to the whole world, every nation, and preach the gospel. So many of the Jews, because the apostle Paul was a Jew, Jesus came for the Jew first and then the Gentile. And so many of those Jews, they went out amongst the world to preach the gospel. That's why us Gentiles that have come to know Christ today are coming to know Christ because of the faithfulness of those early Jewish people that came to know Christ and they changed their walk and they decided to be who God wanted them to be and not who they wanted themselves to be. Yes, Jesus said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. The true church will embrace the whole of the truth of God's word, not just pick and choose what is politically correct for today. That's where you have progressive Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. Because they say that it can change. Like, well, this isn't politically correct today, so they don't teach it anymore. God never changes, and his word will never change. Jesus told us what truth was, and he told us where it could be found. He said in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them or set them apart in the truth. Thy word is truth. 
Your word is truth. There is no other truth in this world. We're also told in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God would be adequately equipped for every good work. That word inspired, again, it means breathed out by God or God breathed. That's what the very word means. Yes, God used the minds, the vocabularies, and the life experiences of regular men to produce his infallible word to us. Yet God's inspiration was upon those words that were wrote, even though they were flawed men as we are flawed. Crazy, but true. Yes, the beauty of the word of God is this. It brings forth the truth of God. It never compromises truth. That's why we can learn so much from the lives of those who God used because God never candy-coated anyone's life in the Bible. Never candy-coated it. Man, God tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, so many times in biographies, you might just hear the good side of things, but then other biographies give us the whole truth. But that's what God does in his word. He tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly of every single person in the Bible. This way, we can learn from their victories, and we can also learn from their defeats. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, for whatever is written in earlier times, he's, of course, quoting from the Old Testament there, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. That's why we are to read God's word so that we would be filled with joy and have hope inside. Yes, the Bible is divine truth given to us by God for everything we need to grow spiritually. 2 Peter 1.3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, not some things, but everything you need for life and godliness and how to walk with him is found in the scripture through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That's why when we reflect on 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, he says, the word of God is profitable. What does that mean? It means it teaches us what is right in a world that is living wrong. He goes on to say, it brings reproof. It tells us what is not right. So we're reproved. It's like, I'm living something that I shouldn't be living right now. I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. So it reproves us. It tells us what's not right. But it brings correction to get us right, to bring us back in alignment with God. And it brings us instruction to keep us walking on the path that we're supposed to walk. Yes, we must grasp onto and learn the word of God. It was King David that said this in Psalm 119, verse 97. He says, oh, how I love your law. I think about it all day long. Like I meditate on it. See, people think like, what do you mean? What does that even mean, meditate on the word of God? Do I have to go like on some hill over here? I'll put on an orange gown and shave my head bald, you know? Hmm, you know, like what does is, what is meditate mean? What does it even mean? It just means think about it. 
Like chew on it. Like if you're reading in the word in the morning and a, a verse kind of pops out on the scripture, take a napkin, write it. It doesn't have to be fancy here. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Take a scrap piece of paper, look through, reach in the trash can, pull out an old envelope, write it on there, and then think about it. Then driving to work, you know, like look at that verse, like think about it, meditate on it. You know, just just dwell on it for a little while and allow God to speak to your heart. You know, it says, you know, it says this in Psalm 119, verse 10, you know, David also said, you know, that God's word is sweeter than honey to him. It was Job that said in Job 23, 12, that he treasured God's word more than his own necessary food. That's how much he just loved to read the word of God. So in order to grow in our walk with God in order to grow in our relationship because we didn't ask some religion in our life, right? We don't have some stained glass window that we ask, you know, not some statue. We have a relationship with the living God. So in order to grow in that, we must study his word. It's not just about coming to know him. It's about growing in that knowledge of him. That's why we're told in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, be diligent. He didn't say be a slack jaw. He didn't say, hey, be lazy in this. Oh, hey, go take another nap. Okay? He said, no. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately or rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent on that. Like, make sure that on a daily basis, you are pursuing this in your life. Which brings up our final point, becoming a joy. Let's read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. Yet Satan has hindered us. Like, I keep wanting to come back and visit you guys, but I'm having to write this letter because Satan's hindering me. But he says in verse 19, for who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Question, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Wow, what does he even mean by this? Wow. You have the opportunity to be the glory and joy. So notice Paul said he was taken away. It wasn't by his choice. It was in body only for he was always with them in his prayers. But this happened in Acts 17. If you want to read what happened to him there where Paul entered their synagogue in Thessalonica and we're told that he was reasoning with them from the scripture we're told and he did it for three Sabbath days in a row. He would go in and again, let's not forget Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus, who was this mastermind trained by the famous rabbi Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee according to the law. He was a mastermind. Why did God raise him up? He converted him because he's he's like this incredible mind with the law of God. He understood it. That's why God used him to write a full one half of the New Testament. The apostle Paul did, but he was this mastermind. And it's just like, so Paul went into their synagogue three Sabbaths in a row. We're told that he was explaining the scripture to them. It's one thing to just read the scripture. You might just turn it to blah, 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 blah. You're Charlie Brown's teacher. Okay, whatever. Okay. So, you know, you get the point. But he was explaining it to him. Like, this is what it means. Okay. So he was explaining it to him at the scripture. Now, I wonder 
When was the last time that you explained, that you discussed the Bible with anyone? Like, when's the last time? Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, you know, I'm not qualified to do that. I can't just spit those verses out like you do. So it's like, I'm not qualified, but hold on now. You know, when you say you're not qualified to do that, if you're a believer, you've come to know Christ as your savior, you understood enough to come into a relationship with Christ, then you have more knowledge of the Bible than someone that has never come to know Christ. So you might only be a week old in the Lord or two weeks old in the Lord. Maybe you give your life to Christ on Easter. We need to share with people what the Bible says. For other people don't know anything. And as you talk more, you'll be asked questions. People will ask you questions. And when you don't know the answer, just say, look, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm a new believer and I'm not sure how to answer that question. But I will find out the answer and I'll get back to you on that. Then you come here and you talk to me or one of our five pastors on staff here and you ask them. Now, if one of our pastors can't answer your question, go over to Del Taco. No, just kidding. It's like, no. Then make one of our pastors find out. And one of our pastors need to say, oh, you know, I need to get back with you. So let me go figure that out. But I'll get back with you. We will find the answers. You get back to that person. Yes, as we're told in verse 17, Acts 17 confirms that mob rule was able to drive Paul out of Thessalonica. Just like we see how mob, the mob is ruling today in our liberal cities, namely like our own here. Then Paul confirms in verse 18 that Satan is the one that hindered him. But Paul moves on to say in verse 19 that there's going to be a crown of exaltation for him when he gets to heaven. What does that even mean? It means that these people that Paul had led to Christ, these people that he had invested in their lives, he will rejoice with them as a crown in the future. When we lead people to Christ or we have a piece of their life in investing in them spiritually, this is why we are to walk with God. This is why we are to live. This is why we are to focus our attention to be like what God wants us to be here in this world. And we are to be vocal with other people about what God is doing in our life. When we invest in them spiritually, we will rejoice with them as a treasure one day when we get to heaven. And it's like, and we see them there. I mean, how cool will it be to see people that God uses in their life to help encourage them in their journey with the Lord here on this side of heaven? Because God used us to minister to them. Those of you that serve here at Core Church, working to make each of these services happen here, no matter what you do, it all matters to those that are here and are getting blessed. It's like the children that are in the children's ministry are getting taught by teachers, teaching the word of God on their level. All of these cameras, everyone that's on the, you know, running our cameras and everything. It's like, again, people are watching from all over the United States right now because everyone's serving to come together here. So you are investing in the lives of those that are coming here. I had a little girl come to me last service. She's like this tall. She's like maybe seven She goes, Pastor Steve, they say they don't want me to carry my Bible to school. What do you think I should do? I said, carry your Bible to school. She's like, that's what I said. I'm going to carry it to school. Then her mom came up and said, she's preaching the gospel to every one of her classmates. And I'm just like, you go, girl. She's seven years old. I'm just like, wow, you go. Yes, it matters. You might not think that it matters, but it matters. It all matters to those who come here and are blessed. 
Yes, we become part of the joy of what God is doing. We become part of the joy of what God is doing when we walk with him and we serve in God's work. Again, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, they were his hope and his joy of his crown. Joy again in the Greek language means a calm delight and a gladness. Do we have that joy in our lives where we have in a walking way, people recognize a calm delight and gladness in us, where they can look in our eyes and see a calm delight in our own eyes? Let's not forget, Paul was getting persecuted and he was getting beaten everywhere he went. Yet just the thought of people coming to know Christ and people learning how to walk with him and become who God wanted them to be brought a great joy to Paul that surpassed his getting beaten and thrown into prison. He had a calm delight. He had a gladness in his heart. So let me ask you, in these trying times that our country is facing right now, do you have joy? Do you have a calm delight? that's in your life at some point. If not, maybe we should all consider taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting it on having a willingness to serve God in some capacity. Whatever the cost, share Christ with others. And it all starts with how we walk out our faith in him daily how we walk, how we live, how we behave on a daily basis. That's all the time we have for today's message. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.